Hare Krishna, everyone. We are continuing reading primarily from Prabhupada's letters about things that he has said about the nature of Maya and the nature of Yoga Maya. And we somehow or other yesterday ended up talking about self-care as a necessary as a necessary means to be stable in Krishna consciousness and also to care for others. And it's often said, what you don't give to yourself, you won't give to others. Or it's more difficult to give to others. Just like if you're hungry, it may be difficult to serve others prasadam. When you're full, it's easier, at least for most people. So uh, we had discussed at the end of the class a lot about, I think it was the last class, wasn't it? A lot about the need to take care of ourselves sufficiently so that we can, as I say, we can show up, we can be our best for others. If we neglect ourselves, it becomes counterproductive. If we neglect ourselves in the name of devotional service, we may neglect needs which are essential for our vitality, either materially, emotionally, or spiritually, and then we become unstable, or we become unhappy. Yesterday, we were having a class for people new to Krishna consciousness, and it was about what your dharma is. And I observed that sometimes someone may be well spiritually situated, but not well materially situated. And and it's kind of um, it's kind of like they oscillate between transcendence and misery when they deal with their material side. It becomes quite miserable when they deal with the spiritual side. They become ecstatic. Or as we say, <clears throat> after the ecstasy of the laundry, the, the realities of the world set in. So after the ecstasy, you have to deal with your stuff, your life, where you're at. And if there's, if there's a lacking in taking care of oneself, even spiritually, specifically we're talking about taking care of oneself spiritually, if there's a lacking, there may be ecstasy in the, in the association and so forth. But when, when you're back to what your normal life is, which is most of the time, then you have to deal with any insufficiencies, uh, lackings, inadequacies, and so forth, and those. And if there's any lack of taking care of those things which are necessary, it will, it will show up. I've seen this many, many times. You know, Someone's very blissful spiritually, but materially, their life's a mess. And it's a real paradox. And and they're they're not in a good space. And their their spiritual happiness almost makes it worse because it makes the material side in comparison seem worse. So self care is a is a fundamental aspect of bhakti. It's not it's not that in the name of surrender we don't take care of ourselves. It's not intelligent and it's counterproductive. So we, I believe that's what we were talking about yesterday. Is that correct? Do you remember? So let's do a little kirtan. Let's see if my voice actually works. <coughs> Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna. Radha Madhava. Radha Madhava. 
So, we're so fortunate that we have a bona fide spiritual master who has come to the West to save us all, who were deeply ingrained in ignorance who had no real clear idea about spiritual life, very mixed up, or had no idea at all. And Prabhupada came and clarified everything. And all we need to do is understand his instructions, assimilate them, put them into practice, and share them. And we don't have to make anything up. That's the glory of, that's the glory of Prabhupada's mercy on us. Hare Krishna. So, I just give me one moment to bring up the document. 
Hmm. I keep forgetting the name of the document. It is called... It's, it's very strange. It doesn't, doesn't want, want to show up in my past open documents. Hmm. There's no justice in the world. The old documents are showing up. But the document I want is not. Okay, we have to waste your time one more second and find the documents elsewhere. I um, was reading something this morning. I forced myself to stop reading it, which is why I'm late. And I'm <clears throat> I should be prepared, right? I started late and... I'm not even prepared with these documents. Um, and this happens often. I'm reading early in the morning and I get caught in reading something. <laughs> I can't stop and I just get ready to come here at the last moment. Mm. Okay, so we're, we're in 1967 letters. Um, yeah, okay. So this is... This is a letter from August to Brahmananda, August 4th, 1967. It's an interesting letter. Don't be afraid of my being attacked by Maya. When there is a fight, when there is a fight between two belligerent parties, it is always expected that there will be sometimes reverses. Excuse me, there will sometimes be reverses. Your country and the Western world is mostly under the grip of Maya and the modes of nature and passion and ignorance. And my declaration of war against Maya is certainly a great battle. We had, remember we had talked about this, didn't we? Yeah, that. To become Krishna conscious is to declare a war on Maya. We talked about this yesterday. Declare more war on Maya, you don't go home and watch television. You actually have to enter the battle. So Prabhupada's saying his coming to the West was definitely a declaration of war on Maya. And when Prabhupada is talking about this Maya, generally it's within the context of Kali. It's a... It's a um, declaration of uh, a revolution against the influence of Kali, who is... So y you can use Maya in the general sense of material energy, the modes of nature, materialism, and so forth. But when you need... When you, when you talk of Maya as a personality, it's not really that Prabhupada is fighting Maya directly but he's fighting the influences that Maya place on the conditioned souls because they want to be influenced this way. That's the idea. Maya saw me very successful within one year so that I go that so that I got so many sincere followers like yourself and others. So it was a great defeat to the activities of Maya. Western country youngsters giving up illicit sex, intoxication, meat-eating, and gambling is certainly a great reverse in the activities of Maya. Therefore, she took advantage of my old age, weakness, 
and gave me a death dash. Death, a death dash. But Krishna saved me. Therefore, we should thank Krishna more than eulogize Maya. Prabhupada says, eulogize Maya means, oh, Maya is so strong. No, Krishna's stronger. Thank Krishna for saving us rather than talking about how much Maya, uh, how strong Maya is or how much she's trying to dissuade us. So far my present health is concerned, I think I am improving. At least I am taking my lunch better than in New York. So as soon as I am a little fit to return to the field of battle, I shall again be in your midst. This Prabhupada was very ill. He went to India to recuperate. So I always found this letter interesting because you never think of Srila Prabhupada as being in Maya, that that's not possible. Prabhupada is a transcendental personality who, in his own admission, never was there a time that he forgot Krishna. He was raised in the family of pure devotees from the beginning, etc. So then that would go against all our conceptions that, uh, that Prabhupada could be attacked by Maya. And so Prabhupada's saying here that Maya, the material energy, fights back when we become Krishna conscious and when we try to spread Krishna consciousness. So there, there's no way that Maya could fight Prabhupada because he's a liberated person. So she, so Prabhupada said she found the way to get him, which is his health, and he almost died. Several times Prabhupada almost died. Twice on the boat and once after he came. Prabhupada was having heart attacks and strokes. And so pretty much everything Prabhupada did was post heart attack and stroke, two heart attacks and stroke. So Hare Krishna. It's uh, you talk about cancer survivors or you know, Prabhupada survived a stroke and a, two heart attacks. And still he didn't give up. So what what this means is Maya will look for some way to try to stop our preaching. Uh, a lot of times we saw, we would see um, very successful preachers, Maya would present, <clears throat> present some allurement to them. And I think all of us, at one time or another, have felt or had some intuition that the more I become successful in Krishna consciousness, the more, more I become a target because... You know, the more powerful the, the soldiers are, the more <clears throat> they're elevated in the ranks, the more they become the number one target of the enemy because they're doing the most. And if you can get rid of powerful generals, then the whole, the troops lose their spirit. And that's the game of chess, right? You try to get the king. Ultimately, whoever captures the king wins. So, certainly Maya will go for those on top. So the more the more responsibility you take, the more you advance in Krishna consciousness, the more successful you are. Maya's gonna say, Oh, you're doing so much service. Let's let's knock you off the list of preachers. Let's knock you off the list of good devotees. That way you won't be effective in spreading Krishna consciousness. And I I, Kali's kingdom can remain under Kali's control. So that's the way we see it. So just a warning that as you advance, there will be the sense of thinking I'm advanced, I'm doing a lot. Then the sense of pride comes in, I'm doing more than others. Uh, the sense of pride, I'm empowered, I'm special. Look at me, I'm smarter than others, more talented than others, more empowered, dear, I'm more dear to my guru. Just the list goes on and on. 
Um, and if you believe it, Maya's just looking at you, laughing at you, thinking, ha, oh, I got this fool. He, you know, he was doing such great service that now look at him. He's thinking in the exact opposite way of how he's telling people to think. He's become proud, full of himself. He thinks he's spiritually advanced. Now he's become a sitting duck and I can shoot him. So at least be aware that Maya, Maya will try to stop our activities, our preaching. And I've always taken that as a good sign. If Maya's trying to stop, I thought, oh, I must be doing something right. <laughs> She's trying to stop me. I don't really see it as Maya personally, but the material energy, the, the, forces, which go, the, the forces which go against spreading Krishna consciousness, Kali's troops, if they're working on us, in a sense, it's a good sign. It means we're, we're attacking, so they're attacking back. So, a nice thing about, about this is Prabhupada said, that, as he said here, take shelter of Krishna rather than appreciate how Krishna is more powerful than Maya rather than eulogizing Maya. Oh, Maya, she's so strong. Maya's pulling me this way and that way. No. But in, 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 in this... In this battle, we don't have to worry if we take shelter of Krishna because Krishna's light and darkness can't stand in light, so we're okay. Excuse me. Yes, yes, we're okay. We should, all, we should always remember, if we take shelter of Krishna, we're okay. So no matter how powerful Maya is. We're okay. But as Billy Lynn says, a city on a hill cannot be hid. Uh, does Maya try to knock people off with nightmares? She'll use any trick she can. But my own experience is that as long as you continue in Krishna consciousness and just kind of neglect Maya, what's ever happening, and focus on your Krishna consciousness, you'll be fine. But definitely she targets the most successful devotees because if you can pull down the generals, pretty much you're, you've lost the troops. And so that's the... You know, look at look at what happened. Look at what happened to Gaudiya Math. They had this amazing movement. Sixty-four temples in India, sixty-four Mats. and they were shaking up India. No other spiritual group, no other spiritual group could compete with them. But after the demise of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, they had a problem, and they couldn't agree on certain things. And it became so bad that a lot of members of the Godimat just left and started their own organizations because the original organization was deteriorating because this, this huge fight was going on and it went to court and it was dividing the movement. And Prabhupada said, or it has been said, that they were extremely powerful organization, extremely successful in pushing back the tide of Maya and defeating Mayavad and defeating impersonalism and exposing so many bogus gurus that have, that existed at that time. 
And then after his departure, they began fighting. They created faction. Two factions were fighting. And a lot of the members, the devotees, were not siding with the either faction because they thought they were both wrong. So you had these two factions. One occupied one of the main properties in Mayapur. One occupied one of the main properties in Calcutta, or the main property in Calcutta. They went to court. They they gave their organizations now new names, Gaudiya Math, Gaudiya Mission, Sri Chaitanya Math, this and that. And so many devotees were disgusted, and they just went started their own temples. They couldn't support what was going on. So you had this very fragmented movement. And once powerful, it had lost its power because it had lost its former power because it lost its unity and power is in numbers. Power is in cooperation. And so it was very unfortunate. So that was definitely attack of Maya, no question. An organization that was pushing back the tide of materialism in India and potentially was geared, or Srila Bhakti Siddhanta wanted it, to go all over the world. So Maya has to look at this and say, oh, Okay, this is not good, or Kali, as you would have it. And Kali is good at dissension and quarrel. So these are very strong personalities, very powerful, very strict. How are we going to stop them? Well, it's the age of Kali, it's the age of quarrel. Uh, we'll just create division and fighting and offenses and separatism and so forth. And that, that will turn the tides against them, and it did. And not that the, or the the temples don't exist, but they don't exist in the same form and potency as they had before. So, Maya will try to do that to us also in ISKCON, to create division, fragmentation. And she'll choose some issue. Right now, Maya has chosen the female Diksha Guru. It has created the strongest division ever in the history of ISKCON. When I say strongest division, I mean not necessarily in numbers, but intensity of disagreement and potential, the potential problems that could ensue from that disagreement are fairly serious. And so, you know, I was thinking the other day, you know, there, so many people are thinking about this female Diksha Guru issue and, and there there is a fair amount of devotees who do not believe this is Shastrik and this is what Prabhupada would want unless the woman is is a liberated, very elevated living entity. Far, far beyond what any of our devotees are. That, that's the idea. And I was thinking it's it's interesting because many of these, many of our members who, who believe this goes against Varnashram to allow women to take leading positions, many, many of them are sannyasis. And I was thinking, is this is this wrong? That this issue has become so central that it's occupied the minds. Well, not only of sannyasis, but it's it's usually men. Obviously, more men are against it than women. Although there are women also who don't think it's proper. But I was thinking of the men. I was thinking this is a little bit of anomaly that. So many men are thinking about women, albeit, in, you know, it's a philosophical discussion. But still, something to be said about that. that uh, <clears throat> there were times when it was an obsessive issue. 
and it's still not resolved. And is it that Maya is working on us? We'll have all these, you know, <laughs> many, many sannyasis are thinking the female Diksha gurus is not good. And although it's a philosophical issue, <laughs> still <laughs> not supposed to be thinking about women, <laughs> supposed to be thinking about Krishna. So, you know, these are subtle things. Maya, Maya will look for different subtle ways uh, to create disharmony, disunity. So we should be aware. And I think, I think it's important. When we see some problem in ISKCON, some problem in our life, some problem with our preaching, we don't give up, we don't exacerbate the problem, but we, we see, oh, Maya is trying to enter here and create division or create weakness in me, or Maya is trying to discourage me from going ahead with this project. Now, sometimes maybe projects should be stopped, but sometimes they shouldn't be stopped. And it's just Maya that's trying to stop them. Sometimes they're impractical. I just read this morning something I didn't know. This is really interesting. When the Gaudi Matsavodis went to London, they were able to get the king of a place called Tripura to donate enough money to build a temple in London. But Srila Bhakti Siddhanta did, did not approve of how the devotees were carrying themselves. And he stopped that project. And he wrote that king of Tripura and said, do not give them any more money. And he called them back. And he was so, I don't know the details of why he was so upset, but he felt that they were just wasting money and not actually preaching properly. I can't speculate exactly in it. why, but for several weeks after their return, he wouldn't even talk to them. He was so upset by what they were doing and apparently maybe not living the life of austerity. They should be living, misappropriating money. I don't know. I can't say. But there's some reason he wouldn't even talk to them. Can you imagine? And he stopped that whole project. Interesting. So, you know, Maya can come in, in a variety of forms, and there's always a new way you haven't seen that Maya can come. So don't think you've seen it all. Like sometimes we say, oh, I've seen it all. Well, in, in the ways Maya can illusion and disrupt ourselves or our movement, we haven't seen it all. And we probably never will see it all. But we understand we have to be careful because there are many ways she will come and attack us that we've never seen before. New weapons. <clears throat> kind of like guerrilla, guerrilla warfare. It was a new kind of warfare the Americans had never seen and they went to Vietnam and they lost the war. They couldn't. The American, the most powerful country, fights <clears throat> a small group of Vietnamese people and they lose the war. Amazing. Hare Krishna. So, never underestimate the power of the Viet Cong and never underestimate the power of Maya. Anyway, the the it, it's in, I've always found this letter interesting. Where Prabhupada's saying, he's basically saying Maya couldn't stop me. But she wanted to stop me, so she attacked me on the physical. This this health issue was Maya. It was Maya's way of trying to prevent the spreading of Krishna consciousness. So 
as we try to spread Krishna consciousness, as we try to be Krishna conscious, it's Maya's job to say, no, we're going to try to stop it through some quarrel, some dissension, some excuse. We've all seen this, right? Some very good excuse. And sometimes excuses are so good, we don't even realize they're excuses, isn't it? Have you ever had, you ever had a really good excuse? And you don't even realize it's an excuse because it's so good. And we think the better the excuse, then the more valid is the excuse. But after all, it's an excuse. So, um, anyway, I think what I said is clear. And I'm not sure if there are any comments that I didn't read, but I just want to go back. Oh, you want to get into the issue of women diction groups. What a controversial issue that is. That's a talk for another time. Well, I guess that's a topic when you're all falling asleep, and then I say, female diction gurus, and everybody wakes up. Yeah, yeah, let's do one. And all those for it are like, yeah, their blood is boiling. And all those against it, their blood is boiling even hotter. No, it's not what we should do. This is wrong. This is not Varnashram. It's not what Shastra says. And then you'll all wake up. So we'll use that in case you're tired. You can just put up a sleepy face when you're tired, and then we'll start talking about female diction gurus. But um, I have spoke about it in other classes, just to give a history, not not so much of a philosophical discussion. It was just to give a history of uh, what's going on. But I'm sure a lot of you are curious, aren't you? <laughs> There's a nice comment. I had to tell Maya to go away when that topic came up. Yeah, I think Maya is using this using this issue to really create divisions in our organization. With, I've never seen an issue elicit so many strong emotions ever in in my in my fifty one years in ISKCON. I've never seen an issue this divisive with such such. Um, having such what am I trying to say I don't even know what I'm trying to say you know what I'm trying to say creating such powerful opinions and emotions Krishna Karshani says Krishna wants conditioned souls to go back to him and the means to do it is Sankirtan so why am I showing slowing down, spreading Sankirtan movement. At least, extremely, it looks this way, or maybe... Well, we're in the material world also. It's, um, it's the job of the material energy to oppose the spiritual energy. And it's the desire of Kali to exert his influence in Kali Yuga. And the Sankirtan movement is a direct attack against these. So they fight back. That That is... The meaning of Prabhupada saying 
to become Krishna conscious is to declare war and maya, both individually and collectively. So that's just what we're doing. But we have atomic weapons, the holy name. So we don't have to worry because maya doesn't have atomic weapons, but we do. So if we know how to use the weapons and we're qualified to use them, then we don't have to worry because we have the Maha Mantra. And because we have the Maha Mantra, and if we have some decency as individuals to not be critical of one another, to respectfully work well together, then we can't lose. It's when we degrade ourselves, we allow ourselves to degrade into the mode of ignorance, we start fighting, criticizing, becoming lazy about our sadhana, then then we don't have those atomic weapons. Or we chant the holy name, but it's offensive. So we're pulling the plug on the atomic weapon, but it's not it's not working. Then then we'll have trouble. Then Maya will come in. She'll she'll walk right in and see, oh this devotee, they, they're really good at making offenses to the holy name. So let's work them over, let's beat them up a little bit because they can't defend themselves. Whereas Whereas if we're strong, she can try, but we should have faith that she can't. She cannot get us. And that's Prabhupada's promise. And he's given us the process, which is foolproof. So. Yeah. Um, this is... Um, you know, the female Diksha Guru is, is, it obviously brings up the whole, it just has brought up the whole topic of the position of women in this kind. It's not just about women being gurus. And um, this is an extremely contentious issue. And if you look at it in a broader sense, it's more of, of an issue between, between conformity and, and tradition and modernity and adaption, that's, that's really what's at the heart of the issue. If you, if you strip it down, it's, it comes out as a philosophical discussion. Here is what the Shastra says about this topic. Others will say, yes, but Prabhupada said this and that. And so there is a debate on the philosophical level. But in my mind, you can't divorce it from the social context. You can't divorce it from the the topic of what is the culture of ISKCON, how should women be, and then you you run into a problem in all these discussions, and I think this is at the heart of it. When you sp speak about Sankirtan and spreading Krishna consciousness, and you speak about establishing Varnashram and culture, there's conflict. Because according to Varnashram and culture, we should do A, B, and C. But according to the adaptations needed, to spread Krishna consciousness, you wouldn't always do A, B, or C, or sometimes none of them. And one example is that our women were going out on Sankirtan all day, approaching men. That, you know, according to Varnashram, those women should have been married when they were 13 and already by the time they became devotees would have two kids. And by the time they got second initiation, they'd be grandparents. Okay, that's exaggeration. But you understand that they were not performing traditional roles, and often Prabhupada saw that, that they couldn't perform traditional roles, it wasn't their culture. And so he employed them according to their nature and ability. So 
the the issue of female Diksha Gurus brings in the broader issue. Or what, are, are we meant to change those roles now that we're 50 years old? And if we're going to establish Varnashram, should we change those roles? And then the discussions that I have had with senior devotees on this topic, the this is the base this is the basis of where the disagreement comes from because those who are representing the idea of we have to adapt to spread sankirtan tend to oppose those who are spreading the idea that we have to create a culture based on varnashram and so in that culture women have to fit in in a certain with a certain identity and paradigm which is the the traditional female role of not being a leader being a mother, being a grandmother, and so on. And where the contradiction comes in is that that uh, some of these, some of the devotees against the female gurus have said that women shouldn't even be preachers. They should just be at home with the kids. And then they conceded that, well, they can be siksha gurus. But then that becomes a contradiction. If they become siksha gurus, then... And it's not just six year guru for their children doesn't then again contradict the position of women at home. If they become siksha, why not diksha? Is it that big of a jump? So there are all these little arguments going on. And the reason we do not see any female diksha gurus in the movement as yet is because there are a group of devotees who've vehemently are against it, who feel this will be destructive and the ramifications will be long, will be deeply troubling. And they are strongly against it. Strong is not a strong enough word. And they've been begging the GBC, who has allowed, who has passed a resolution that women can, women who are qualified, can give diksha and they've been opposing this resolution and so therefore there has been more discussion more study uh, whenever there's been more discussion and study the GBC has concluded again that women can do this not wouldn't be a lot but some and whenever this came up this group of leaders in the movement was vehemently oppo- vehemently opposed to it asked the GBC not to, even though the resolution was there, not to finalize the resolution until there's more discussion. And that's actually where it stands right now. There's, They haven't had more discussion on it all because of COVID. And so this debate is going on, and it's, it's one of the most, it's one of the most interesting things to watch in the sense that we're all reading the same instructions from Srila Prabhupada. And we're coming up with two diametrically opposed decisions with very strong feelings on both sides. And when I look at this issue, just because of my nature, I, I tend to look at context and social context because I'm, I'm very concerned about how we're going to, you know, make it into the future of if we're not able to work well together. So I I tend to, once I study the issue philosophically and and understand and, under, and come to a conclusion based on what I understand to be Prabhupada's desire, I 
don't really get into the debate anymore. And I start looking at it more like an academician looking at the social, the psychological, the social psychological nature of what's going on. And so this is what I see is going on. We have an issue that has caused huge division. And we can understand from this that in the future there will probably probably be other issues which will also be problematic and how to me just just looking at it not I was never involved in I was slightly involved but but later on I was never I was never involved in any in any official in any official capacity adjudicating on this. And so my view of this has been more from just an observation point of view, not even making judgment, not even making judgments, but just observing that that this is a, a very difficult issue to deal with. And it seems from my perspective crucial how we get through this issue because it's going to establish how we'll get through all other difficult issues. And, it, and, and as I said, it does underscore a reality which we all know, that we're all reading the same books and we're all hearing the same lectures, we're reading the same letters, we're listening to the same morning walks, we're listening to the same conversations, and we're coming up with different conclusions. And now, what makes, what makes this even more interesting, and again, these are just observations as if I were just doing, let's say, a PhD on this, which I think would be a fascinating PhD to do, because because this problem is within all religious movements, the position of females as leaders. It's, it's a problem. And and what what makes this issue more interesting from a sociological context is that if you look at certain parts of the world you can already know if you just if you just took a poll of devotees are you in favor of women being giving initiation or not you could go to the map of the world and say we'll get majorities in favor in these countries we'll get majorities in favor in the uh, against it in these countries isn't that interesting so what i find so interesting about it is we th- we often think we're discussing pure philosophy, and if that's true, that we're discussing pure philosophy, why is it <coughs> that the sociological factors seem to have so much of an effect on how we understand philosophy? So this this is a field of sociology, social psychology, which I find fascinating and I find extremely relevant for us to understand on some level that we don't live in a vacuum, that the way we see Krishna consciousness is is influenced by our upbringing, by our culture. And as far as possible, we we are going to need to transcend those influences if we if we want to be able to objectively assimilate Krishna consciousness and objectively give it. Like, for example, sometimes when we give class, when we're explaining Krishna consciousness to others, we might say something 
that we rather not say, but it's there. Prabhupada said it, we have to repeat it. According to my upbringing, according to my culture, this is a sensitive issue. <clears throat> but Prabhupada said it, I have to understand why he said it, what was the context in which he said it, and I have to explain it, even though culturally for me, this is not very politically correct, but I have to do it because this is our philosophy. This is the philosophy that I've adopted, and this is what the philosophy says. You know, you like you have Brahmins, Chatras, Vaishyas, and Sudras based on their qualification, but you, you may come from this background where that is antithetical to everything you believe about unity of human beings. And then you come to Krishna consciousness and you realize that unity is spiritual. Materially, there isn't unity because people are different and you have to adapt to that. And maybe that's never a way that you saw the world or wanted to see the world and now you have to adapt to it. And so we require that kind of objectivity that transcends our culture and that's difficult. And then if you're a woman... You, you're in a different position than a man because as a woman, if, if you've been in an environment where men in any way minimized you as an individual or minimized you as, uh, minimized your facility or opportunity to do service, you will feel it on an emotional level where men don't feel that because it doesn't, it rarely happens to men. It happens quite often to women but it doesn't happen to men. So men men don't always understand what women go through. And so when they're trying to understand something, they'll understand it from a more male perspective. Like, men don't understand that a woman is not safe. I mean, they understand it, but they don't have emotional experience. They can't just walk down the street where there's a bunch of guys. They'll, like, walk across the street. Whereas a man, you just walk by them. It's, like, no big deal. But women don't feel safe or they'll feel violated just because they know these guys are going to you know, whistle at them or say something. Or, and what to speak of it's late at night, uh, then it's not safe. And um, you know, women have sat through many, many classes in which women were, it was explained that women are the personification of Maya, the cause of fall down and so forth. But men is the personification of Maya for women, but you'll never hear a woman giving a class. Men are Maya. Men are like, you know, we're like butter and men are like fire. And, you know, you get, you know, we never hear that. That's, that's a very male-oriented mentality. So <laughs> this, this presents a, another problem in looking at philosophy, especially w which has to take into consideration the perspective of the other gender. Or if you're talking about homosexuality, it has to take in the perspective of homosexuals and their attempts to be Krishna conscious. We have to understand that before we can know how to deal with these issues. And I'm not a homosexual, I'm not a woman, so it's more difficult for me to understand the world from their perspective. And in a movement where all the men are leaders, you are going to get, uh, obviously, a very male perspective on everything. And some people may say that's good, and some people may say it's not good, which is why we have problems. But be that as it may, I'm just speaking to us that we want to gain objectivity as far as possible. We want to try to understand things from other people's perspective, why they would say this, why they believe this, why they feel this way. And 
uh, not be attached or influenced by our own cultural upbringings and biases and prejudices, which we all have. And then when we come, we come to understand the philosophy, it may be influenced by these prejudices and biases, and we think, no, I'm just understanding what Prabhupada said. Well, in some cases, yes, you are, but in some cases, you're not. Uh, I have a disciple who's doing a PhD, and she's trying to figure out what, and she's, a, she's got a master's in psychology. And I said, I think it would really be interesting to do a PhD in this subject because I think we really need to understand it. You know, the, 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 there, there are so many social influences that, that affect us. Another one, which is very interesting, is that in a group, whatever the most respected person says, everyone will tend to believe they'll tend to stop analyzing and they'll figure, well, he's smarter than me and this is what he says or she says, so I'll just go along with that because I respect them. And so whatever is the, opin the opinion of the person's most respected, most respected will be the opinion of everyone. And if you need to convince a committee, you need to find out who is the most respected person because if you convince them, they'll all go along. That's just a reality of social, social interactions. It's interesting... I think it's useful information to understand these things, don't you? Because, because you may realize when you have to deal with issues that you're making a decision, but you actually never thought about the issue. You're making a decision because so-and-so was very, very outspoken about it. Here's another thing I've seen. I haven't studied this, but I've seen this. If, if we're dealing with an issue that's controversial and... If someone is very, very outspoken about it, and very, this is this is how it is, it's like this, and the other side is wrong. This is what Donald Trump does. This is his tactic. The other side, they're just stupid. Doesn't explain why they're stupid. He just makes up names and calls them stupid. That's actually how he got elected. Believe it or not, it's amazing by calling other people stupid and not explaining why they're stupid, and then giving them a pejorative term. Now he calls the his. Com his running mate, he calls him Lazy Joe. Like, why is Joe Biden lazy? You know, it never explains why. So, if a person is very outspoken, this is how it is. I have seen it, that when there's people oscillating from side to side, people love a person who's just, this is how it is. It's this way. This is what Prabhupada said. Anyone who says otherwise does not understand Krishna consciousness. There's going to be horrible ramifications if you accept this other side. And you're like, whoa, okay, I'm convinced. This happens all the time. And then you're convinced, and then she's convinced, and he's convinced, and all of a sudden we're all convinced, and we haven't even really thought about it deeply. It's just this other person is so convinced, and he's a sannyasi, and you know, who am I? I'm just a fallen grihasta. And there you go. And then hundreds, thousands, millions of people are convinced. Do you know, I don't know if you know this, do you know that the German people thought Hitler was gift from heaven, that he was going to save the country and the world? Did you know that? Do you wonder, why did the German people follow him, adore him, because they thought he was the greatest thing? He had the power of the tongue. He was, this is how it is. It's like this. We have to do this. When people speak that way, they're very convincing. During times of confusion in Is Iskon, there are a lot of devotees who want to discuss the issues. There's a lot of devotees who are very open to discussing both sides and getting to the core of it and want to create unity. It's their nature. And there are other devotees who are just, this is how it is, no discussion necessary, this is how it is, and this is what I'm doing. 
And so people around that devotee also become like that and very much influenced. Social psychology. We're devotees, aren't we transcendental? Unfortunately, no. We're not. Um, and what's the Shastric support? I think I think we could say if we did a pulse did a pulse on the Gaudiya Math that the average member of the Gaudiya Math by samskara, by past devotion, by by uh, the number of sinful activities they did or did not perform, the amount of devotional service they did before they joined, by IQ, by culture, in every way, they were far more elevated than we are. And I don't think there's any question. And the ones that I have met are just extremely intelligent, austere, controlled. They practically had no... Maybe one sannyasi in Godiamath fell down, and Iskon thirty-four fell down. Just a, it's a different, it's a different universe. Very, very elevated people. Many from Brahminical families, Vaishnava families, extremely intelligent, qualified, and so forth. Um, I read, I think it was a Bhakti Vikashwami's book that Bhakti Siddhanta was getting the most intelligent youth in India to join him. Like brilliant, brilliant people. Instead of joining Gandhi, they were joining Gaudiya Mat. And still, due to social factors, due to the social psychology and, the, and the, the realities of psychology and sociology, they couldn't make it as a unified group. And look how elevated they are. So do these things affect us? Of course they do. They're laws. They're Unless we're completely transcendental, then we're affected by the laws of psychology, the laws of sociality, sociology, and so forth. So, um, the female diksha guru is, is, in my mind, um, under the umbrella of a bigger of a bigger issue, and it's it's sankirtan as a the sankirtan spreading of Krishna consciousness as opposed, and it doesn't have to be opposed, but it is apparently now it's opposed to the establishment of the culture of Varnashram with its traditions. And of course you need both. You can't give up tradition, but you can't give up adaptation because you become irrelevant. If you don't have tradition, then over time you're nothing. You're just, you have no foundation. So you need adaptation and foundation, you know. You have a strong foundation, but the building starts to crack. You have to fix it. So you know, when you look at two very strong ideas from both sides, obviously there's value in both of them. And, and just to fight and say, you have no value in what you say. And the other side says, no, you have no value in what you say. That seems to be uh, really the mode of ignorance. But to see the value in both and to accommodate, that's what Prabhupada wanted. And, and that's why Prabhupada said unity and diversity. But if we get diversity and no unity, then that's tamaguna. If we get diversity, which is natural and normal, and we get unity, that's Krishna consciousness. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. That's what Prabhupada wanted. He wanted us to figure out how can we be unified even if we disagree? How can we, um, how can we understand both sides and amalgamate them in a way that we can all go on enthusiastically? That that is what's in front of us. And if we can't master this now, then it's setting a really bad precedent for the future, in my opinion. And 
this is on a GBC level, but it's also on our individual level in, in the conflicts and difficulties we have in dealing with our devotees and our groups. And if we can't master it on, on a microscopic level, you know, what, what, what a message are we sending to the future generations of ISKCON and to the world? I think we're sending a message that Krishna consciousness is failing to keep us, it, it hasn't worked to keep us united, but it's actually made us disunited. And then we can say, okay, this is Maya. This is where Maya is attacking. And I think this is where she's attacking on this issue. At least it's one of the issues she's attacking because she's creating division. And division is the only way to destroy Yiskan. Well, not the only way, but it's probably the best way. Or at least we can say it's a very good way. So I've I've always tended to interpret any setback in the spreading of Krishna consciousness in Maya is trying to stop us, and my response has always been we have to try harder rather than thinking this is too hard, let's give up. I always think Maya is trying to stop us, and I always felt that it's a signal to try harder and that if we try harder, Krishna will help us and we'll be successful. That's always been my intuitive response. And I think that's that's the way we need to respond. And Prabhupada is responding here, you know, recuperating his health. Again, let's go back into the battlefield. Prabhupada's saying, when I recuperate, I'll come back. What did he say? I'm a little fit to return to the field of battle. I shall again be in your midst. I was shot by the arrows of, of ill health. I will be healed again to go fight this war against Maya. Hare Krishna. So Sarade Rasa says, maybe we need a seminar and book about if men are really qualified to be texture gurus. Well, Saradia, my daughter and I, we're, she doesn't want to do it, but she's the per perfect person to do it because she doesn't, she thinks if she does this, she'll be the, you know, like in the middle of a controversy and people will be shooting arrows at her. But we joke, we joke around what it would be like if women were like men. And so we thought of doing a skit, you know, making a video and sending it around the world if women are like men. So women are giving these heavy classes about how men are Maya, men are the cause of bondage, men are this, men are that, you don't want to associate with them, and, you know, they're so bad, and they, they're always, they can't get along, and they always fight, and, you know, this, you know. And, and it's, it's so, it would be hilarious, and it would make such an amazing point. And I think one of the, one of the amazing points it would make is that you've never heard a woman give a class like that. Women don't do that. And personally, although, although many, many men think one of the biggest problems in ISKCON is to have women in positions of authority. And, and I understand why they say that, but at the same time, the men, I don't think the men in our movement are qualified enough to, be, to, to understand the female perspective and attitude to be able to address their needs well enough. And that's why you need women in position of authorities to be mouthpieces for the women because the men don't get it well enough. And if the men got it, you wouldn't even need a Vaishnavi ministry. Why would you need why would you need a voice for the women if the men were the voice for the women, which they should be, but because they weren't, they needed a ministry to be their own voice. But it was it the woman's ministry is just a failure 
by the men in ISKCON to be sensitive to the women's needs and protect them. In my opinion, that's, that's why it existed. And so the problem we see in Kali Yuga is the women need protection because the men aren't giving it. And so now they need protection from the men who would exploit them. And you might say, no, the men in ISKCON do not exploit the women, but if the women need a ministry, then, you know, in some sense they were, I don't want to say exploited, but they weren't taken care of. So, you know, there are a lot of men who say, you know, women should not be leaders. Okay, fine, it's not Varnashram, whatever. I, I don't even want to fight with that. But my point is, you need them as leaders because their voices aren't heard. They're, and the men, the men are not, the men who are leaders are not all qualified enough to understand the needs on every level of the women to represent them so that the women are happy. Therefore, you need the women to do it. And that's why you need women as leaders. I've seen this over and over and over again. And it's an, again, it's another point of just a reality of sociology that people resent, will, will represent their own realities. So what are their concerns? That's what they'll represent in the political arena. So you, if you just, here's another PhD. Maybe I'll have to take birth again. There will be another interesting PhD. Study the concerns of ISKCON, like go through all the GBC resolutions since the GBC was formed. Study them and see how the resolutions change to reflect concerns that are the concerns of the members of the GBC. You will see no concerns about old age and health in the early GBC because nobody's older than 30. And why would you at 30 be thinking about old age and death? It's off your radar. Look at GBC resolutions in the 90s when devotees are getting older and sicker. Then they start talking about health, retirement. What are we going to do with our older devotees? And who are making these decisions? The old, sick devotees, because it's real for them. Where are all the resolutions um, that show concerns about problems for women? Where, where are they? When did they come? When you had the women's ministry, when you had women on the GBC. So it's it's just a reality. I don't want to fault anybody. Uh, if I were a GBC member, I would probably not be any better than anyone. But it's just a reality. You tend to make resolutions based on your point of reference. So now we want younger people uh, on GBC and management because they have a point of view that us old guys don't always have, and we need to see it from their perspective. If we're smart enough to see it from their perspective, we don't have to burden them with all the problems of management, but apparently we're not. So I think the women's issue, it brings up so many things, not just Diksha. This is just, this is just what, in my mind, Diksha is just getting spotlighted, but there's so much that's, it's so, it's a big umbrella that it's under, and it's, it's just, it's just the center of, it's just the hub, and there's so many spokes coming from it about things that we need to fix within ISKCON that have gone um, unnoticed by the men, by the managers, by the leaders. Even some have been told, but they, they may not have valued it. So, anyway, that's, that's my answer to your question. Mm. If men are really qualified to be Diksha Guru. Yeah. Only 
uh, only liberated women can be Diksha Guru, which was, um, prov but if we were to go to that, if we say, okay, well, that's what the Shastra says, that because of women's nature, um, their emotional nature is such that unless they're liberated, they'll, they'll be influenced heavily by their emotions and they won't be able to do the service of Guru. Okay, let's just say for the sake of argument, that's true. Which is the argument, that that's why they need to be liberated. And that's why it's not their position to be Guru. But how do you determine who's liberated? And, and would that create even more controversy? Okay, let's say we pass the resolution, she can be liberated. Then one woman says, I want to be a guru. Now you have to vote whether she's liberated, what's the criteria. And my prediction is all those who are against women gurus will say she's not liberated. And all those who are for women gurus will say she is liberated. And I am 108% convinced that's what would happen. So you're back to square one. <laughs> ah, Hare Krishna. Oh my God. I should have been a social psychology professor. I probably was a social psychology professor in my last life. That's why I look at everything this way. 108% convinced that won't solve the problem because those who are against female gurus, unless... Unless we know, like a, a demigod comes down and say, she descended from the spiritual world, she's liberated. In lieu of that, I don't think there will be any woman that everyone's going to get the vote on, and then it's going to be like 51 against and 49-4, and, and then what do you do? It's too close. Then there's a big revolution. She got, and, then, and then you start making propaganda and bringing people to the GBC, and, you know, is this what we want to do? fight forever. So, the the reason that I'm presenting all this to you is because I want you to reflect on yourself and how you look at things and process things and the emotions that are connected with how you process it. And anyone against female diction gurus, I hate. You know, okay. Maybe that's how you feel, but now process that that's not Krishna consciousness. You shouldn't hate anybody. Well, to speak of hating a devotee, and you shouldn't hate anybody because they disagree with you. And so, you know, we need to mature beyond all of this, isn't it? Otherwise, we're going to perpetuate um, a problem that is is a problem that should sit within the realm of materialistic people, not Krishna conscious people. If I'm having a reaction that I know it to be Maya, Maya means where Krishna doesn't exist. So if your reaction is making you less Krishna conscious, that's Maya. If it's making you more Krishna conscious, it's not Maya. You may have a reaction, but it may be something inspiring. History shows that often they are not, doesn't it? Now, the problem is I lost the context. So, whenever you make comments, you're making comments in real time about what we're talking, and then I read it 10 minutes later. So, the, the they's and the it's have to be described. <laughs> Otherwise, I forget what I was talking about. I have to try to... History shows that they often are not. So it was something about they are. 
Now I have to guess. So you have to tell me. KB, you have to... Kayla, you have to tell me what it is because I can't remember. Given in the history, more male guru than female gurus have fallen down. Yeah. Well, you might say, well, there's less female gurus. So, yeah. But I think if if the concern is whether a guru will fall down or not, then we should... Um, boy, we should not allow any men to become gurus and only women because... The likelihood of a female guru falling down is far less than a male guru. It's just that women are not constituted in the same way men are on a physical level. And someone said, you know, well, the female guru is going to have male disciples. And someone said, yeah, well, the male, dis- male guru has female disciples. Why do we keep making this distinguishing factor? But it, it is interesting. Um, Obviously, women have a bad rap, and so there are a lot of assumptions made about women which are not based on facts. Uh, They're just kind of based on emotions, I think, or my perception, which is affected by my emotion, which is affected by my prejudice, and women are like this. Well, according to you, they are, but let's go look statistically. Is that true? And and now on YouTube, you you have videos of women Yes, it's really strange. I find it strange, but women doing very male things. So it's it's like it's like they can do it if they want to. Very test testosterone ish things, you know, playing drums. It's very it's very male. Playing guitar. It's very male testosterone, and they. And they can do it really well. The question is, is that really what women should be doing, you know? You know, you're a little baby, <laughs> and you're, you're being raised by your mother, and she's gone every night because she's in a rock and roll band, you know, getting drunk and playing, you know, distorted guitar. I don't know. <laughs> That's, but they can do it, you know? So um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of this prejudice that, you know, you know, physical things maybe, yeah, you know, like, you know, you don't have boxing matches and wrestling matches, men against women, because, you know, in sports, um, although maybe someday that'll come, but men are physically stronger. Not every man, but in general. But in other areas, women are equally qualified. They just never enter that area uh, because it's predominantly a, a male thing. Like, look at all the rock and roll bands, right? What do the women do? Mostly sing. Not play drums, guitar, bass, although they do a little bit more now. But it's you know, and so many things were traditionally male, not because of the culture only, but because it's just it's a very male, it's a very male thing, you know, male, <clears throat> you know, drums, <clears throat> it's very male, <clears throat> rock and roll. You know, it's not like girls don't like rock and roll, but Women can women can do amazing things, but but due to their nature or the social structure, they don't do a lot of them. So then the men think, oh, they can't do it. They can do so many things that men can do. They can do so many women can do it so much better than men. Things which were typically considered male. Do you have women who can who can play every instrument better than men, who can ski better than men, surf better than men, skateboard better than do all this? Not a, better than every man, 
but most men. <clears throat> but the way we were raised in our culture, it didn't allow, women didn't do those things. So you would just think, oh, they're no good at that because you never see them do it. So you make that assumption. And those assumptions then cloud your vision of what you think they're qualified to do and not do and so on and so forth. And we used to joke that, that you know, in the old days, most of the temples were run, run by Grihasta. So there's the temple president, so-and-so, Das, Adhikari, and everybody knew. She's actually running the temple. She's just behind the scenes telling him what to do. Because in many cases, he, he was not as qualified as she was. So she would do everything. And all the decisions she was actually making, at least he was consulting with her. And, you know, it wasn't like... So, but it was more kosher because the men didn't want to deal with a woman temple president. They were more comfortable with a man. But she was making so many decisions behind the scenes. And we all knew that. And it was just... Well, I guess we all didn't know it. But so um, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into making a decision. And you think, oh, I'm making a very objective decision. But, well, well, you know, look what's been put in you for the last how many years you've been living in prior lives. There's, so how objective are you? And we have to practice being objective. And we have to be aware of our prejudices and conditioning when we're trying to understand something, you know. I mean, could you imagine... How many gay people are against gays? Like, like that would make no sense. If you're gay, you go, I'm not into gay marriage, I'm not into gay rights, I'm not in, you know, that's going to come from more conservative religious people who are straight, obviously, right? And if you're gay, you have the perspective of a gay person who also wants to be spiritual, religious, and have certain rights that other people have. This is not a discussion of what rights they should have, what rights they shouldn't have, what is right, what is good and bad about it, but naturally, because that's who you are, you have that perspective. And if you're not, and you want to make decisions on how gay people, the rights gay people should have and so forth, wouldn't it be important to view things through their perspective, to understand them more, to get to know them better? I would think so. Same thing for women, same thing for children, same thing for youth. Shouldn't we know them better? Shouldn't we know their concerns, their needs? Yes. Shouldn't we know their abilities and talents? Yes. Um, another problem you find is that leaders, especially older leaders, tend to think that younger leaders are not qualified, despite the fact they have 64 PhDs. And that leader didn't even graduate high school. Still, they think, because of experience and so forth, I'm much more qualified. And in some senses, they may be, but not in every sense. In some senses, the young person may be way more qualified. And those leaders who actually embrace the concept that leaders should be humble will learn from the college graduate, although they're 65 years old. They'll sit down and say, teach me what you know about this. I want to learn. They have that humility. So I think that's important. And when, when you become Krishna conscious, when you become a leader in Krishna consciousness, one potential problem you're going to have is you're going to think you know more than others because you're an older devotee, you have more experience. And it's true, you do more know, you do know more than others in any areas, but not in every area. And to think you know more in every area 
is demeaning to the people who could be helping you. And it, it makes them feel less valued and worthy. And, and they feel like, how can I make a contribution in an environment where people don't value my education? So I'm, I'm telling you all these things, not so you can go back to your temple and go, well, Mahatma Prabhu said this and this, and you have your checklist about it, what everything is wrong in your temple. I'm saying this for you, that you as an individual be aware of all these factors that go into making decisions so that you can make the best decisions in the situations you're in, which will have the most benefit for you and the people you're dealing with and the movement in general, and decisions which are are not so-called based on philosophy, which are based more on personal prejudices, but actual religions which are based, uh, excuse me, decisions which are based on what Prabhupada wants, devoid of any subjective influence of my personal likes, prejudices, biases, um, cultural conditioning, and so forth. That is a big job, not easy, definitely not easy, but I think it's something that's necessary if we're going to be able to understand, excuse me, if we're going to be able to understand Prabhupada and what he wants and what his mission is. A lot of times I see an interesting phenomenon that takes place that we're discussing an issue and oftentimes the expressed desire of Prabhupada does not become the main concern. We're arguing some other point from what seems to be a logical perspective or a philosophical perspective without going deeply into understanding really was this what Prabhupada wanted. And I've had discussions with people saying, well, according to me, and they, they play out the logic. I say, okay, that's fine. That's logical. But I happen to know that Prabhupada said something different than the conclusion you made. And so shouldn't we, in going and understanding what's logical and coming to inclusion, conclusion, shouldn't we simultaneously say, okay, this is what seems logical, but I need to find out what Prabhupada said about this because my logical conclusions, which, which I could give my life to and try to, try to, um, try to pronounce to the world that everyone who doesn't agree with me is wrong, I have to be careful that this is actually what Prabhupada has said. This is actually what, not only what he said, but this is what he wants instituted. Because Prabhupada could say something that actually doesn't want instituted. You know, should we institute in ISKCON um, a culture in which women are treated like children? And women are treated as less intelligent. Well, you could say, yes, we should, because that way they'll be protected. Okay, I agree with that. But how do we institute it in ISKCON? By demeaning them, putting them down, treating them like less intelligent children who don't have decision-making capacity and so forth? That's not what it meant. That's not the way Prabhupada dealt with women. So you understand, you, you, Prabhupada says this, you make a conclusion, this is what you should do, which is not what Prabhupada meant by that. So you have to be careful. And that's why a broad understanding of Krishna consciousness is necessary. Otherwise, we could misapply. And, and also, you know, when, when I try to understand Prabhupada's teachings, I also try to understand what his heart is. Where is Prabhupada's heart? Because if he says something, and, and okay, women are like children, what does that mean? Well, according, 
according to the Vedas, women should be protected, but so should children, and so should elderly people, and so should cows, and so should so many people should be protected. So like children means take care of them. They need help. Men will exploit women. That's their nature. It's the nature of men to exploit women. Take care of them. Protect them from other men who could exploit them. Like the children should be protected. Here's a stranger. They, they maybe could kidnap my child. I have to protect them. So, but what does is, what is women are like children mean to me if I have a misunderstanding or if I, ha- if I don't like women or if I, innate, have, I have a nature to exploit? <clears throat> that it becomes a calling card for exploitation, not what Prabhupada meant. So when you understand Prabhupada's instructions, you also have to understand the heart of Prabhupada. And so if I think, oh, it means that I, women are like children, that means they just, they just do what I say and they have no opinion. Is that how Prabhupada dealt with his women? No, he didn't. So if I think that way, I'm not representing Prabhupada in his instruction, even though I think I am. So you really have to understand Prabhupada's heart, have to understand the application as he applied these things, and then we get more objectivity. We have to understand as much as we can about what Prabhupada said about an issue, as much as we can, uh, how Prabhupada dealt with this issue practically, then we get more objectivity. Otherwise, it becomes our, um, uh, I would say, especially if you get very emotional about an issue, step back and be careful because as you get emotional, your intelligence becomes clouded and you won't understand it objectively. And I think you all know that, right? And that's why, um, that's why when issues get heated and emotional, it's dangerous because we lose objectivity and intelligence. Do you see my questions? No, you'll have to ask them again. I don't see them. Yesterday I read something on the topic of issues that create divisions that really touched my heart. It's from Pastor Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Okay. Let's read it. If I can just... I'm having a really hard time using my left hand to hit Seymour. Okay, we're going to read it. Wow. Emphasize reconciliation and resolution. It is unrealistic to expect everyone to agree about everything. Reconciliation focuses on the relationship, while resolution focuses on the problem. When we focus on reconciliation, the problem loses significance and often becomes irrelevant. Wow, it's interesting. We can establish a relationship even when we are unable to resolve our differences. Christians often have legitimate, honest disagreements and differing opinions, but we can disagree without being disagreeable. The same diamond looks different from different angles. God expects unity, not uniformity. And we can walk 
arm in arm without seeing eye to eye on every issue. Oh, that's beautiful. You can walk arm to arm without seeing eye to eye. That's a good t-shirt. I'm going to write that down. You can write it down also while I'm writing it down. That'll make a whole bunch of us writing it down. You can walk arm to arm without seeing eye to eye. Fantastic. Beautiful. Okay. This doesn't mean you give up finding a solution. You may need to continue discussing and even debating, but you do it in a spirit of harmony. Reconciliation means you bury the hatchet, not necessarily the issue. Yeah, perfect. Um, we have to, we're going to have to realize this and act in this way. Yeah, because because if if I disagree with you, I may come to this point where I don't like you. You don't agree with me. Therefore, I hate you. Now, what kind of person thinks like that? <laughs> Sardia says, We also need an extensive series of books and seminars about the Dharma of men, what men are allowed to wear and not. Yeah, well, that was part of the, that was part of the, the male class. And look at these men that walk around in Mayapur with their dotis above their knees and the you know their chatters you know showing their chest and their big muscles and their tattoos and their you know like what you know what's a woman supposed to do you know how can you know this has to be stopped you know the GBC has to stop that these men are ruining Iskon. If one of you want to do this video and you know let all the conservatives shoot you, then um, you can be the martyr. My daughter doesn't want to be the martyr, although she could do it perfectly. And maybe, maybe um, when you do it, you know, you could paint a little beard on yourself and be a sannyasi, you know, sannyasini. Yeah, these men, yeah, they're just ruining everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe Saradia, you're the one to write the script. You and Krishna Karshani, you'd probably write a great script together. Maybe Krishna Karshani, you should do it. Why does Shastra not allow women to be leaders or diksha gurus? What is the logic in contemporary times? Uh, it's a whole issue. That is only the opinion of some that Shastra doesn't allow it. And, and again, it's Varnashram versus uh, versus the present situation. And we know how Prabhupada empowered women to do everything. So the controversy is, are these Shastric injunctions applicable in Kali Yuga? Because it seems that many things that Prabhupada did do go against Shastra. And those Shastras were meant for a different time, different people. So, Prabhupada was giving choice to women, and that's what we women want. We want to decide if we want to stay home, kids, or work and preach. And no leader of ISKCON has the right to decide for us. Yes! Go, girl! Tell it like it is. Yeah, that's why... <laughs> oh, have you have you seen... Um, 
Ananga Manjari's video about how upset she was that leaders were trying to minimize the contribution of women and that was Prabhupada never did it. She was like, whoa, she was burning hot. It's interesting to video to watch. You know, anything that anything anything to divide over is a potential problem. Vijay Lakshmi says Prabhupada wanted Barnashram to be established the other fifty percent of work he could not complete. We are supposed to follow Prabhupada's instructions, then why are we digressing? By this logic we should not have Female Diksha goes, well, by this logic, there's a lot of things we shouldn't have. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't have females on the GBC, you shouldn't have female temple presidents, you shouldn't have female leaders, you shouldn't have females anywhere outside the house. And when they go outside the house, they should be covered pretty much from head to toe, and they shouldn't ever speak to any men, and et cetera, et cetera. So... We're not trying to mimic, mimic that culture per se, but understand principles of chastity. And Now, Bijai Lakshmi, Srila Prabhupada wanted Govinda Dasi and Jamunda Dasi to be GBC members. Um, and, and so, in discussing this, the proponents of Varnashram will say, well, that was before Prabhupada was looking at Varnashram, but after he was looking at Varnashram, he didn't do it. And some of the opponents will say, well, he never established them as GBC, but the men didn't want it. Prabhupada wanted it, the men didn't want it, and because the men weren't accepting of it, he didn't do it. But he appointed them, so that appears to go against Varnashram. So there's there's adaptation, and so you have to maintain culture, and you have to ad- adapt it in a way that's practical. That's why I don't, I think, I think both sides are absolutely necessary. And the problem we're having in ISKA now is finding that balance of how they work together. You know, one side, one side, if you say no Varnashram, just Sankirtan, if you say no Sankirtan or minimize it and focus on Varnashram, it's imbalanced. My opinion from a medical point of view, female hormones have a devastating effect which are not being supposed to be steady in mind. Therefore, to becoming a Diksha Guru, yeah, that's the argument of why they should be liberated. But, if a woman is preaching and doing it well, then you can't make that, you can't, because she's handling her hormones or she's at a period in her life where it's no longer a problem. So if she's actually doing it, how could you make that argument? And I think, I think that resolution was they have to be over 60. Prabhupada wanted to establish Dabi Varnashram, meaning using everything possible in Krishna consciousness. Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a, um, it's a definitely a neo, a neo Varnashram, for sure. Read Prabhupada's books, then you'll see I'm right. Then I read Prabhupada's books, and I see you're wrong. Hare Krishna. Now what do we do? I'm right. No, I'm right.
You're totally wrong, Prabhu. No, Prabhupada says right here, this is what it means. No, he doesn't mean that because he says here this. So this is symptom of Kali Yuga. We'll, uh, we'll fight and then we'll ruin relationships. And that's a disaster. Why can't everyone just focus on preaching and keeping Prabhupada in the center instead of being gurus? Because he asked us to be gurus. It is required by Shastra to have a guru. Only through his mercy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ridvik philosophy. Prabhupada wanted devotees to take responsibility to be gurus. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like you become a guru. It's not like you become a guru because, hey, I want to be a guru because I get nice prasadam. And, you know. No. When, when you talk to any gurus, and, and you talk about people and being envious, especially other god brothers, then the, the general response is, well, yeah, you know, they just don't know what it's like. They think, oh, it's like you're just living living an easy life and everyone worships you and takes care of you. No, it's it's not like that. It's a real austerity. I mean, those other perks are there, but it's a real austerity that many do not want to take. So, if you know, once you take that austerity, you'll never say, oh, he's big, he's a guru because he wants to take some advantage of Iskon or his disciples. If everyone fights that we need gender bias guru system, it does not help in practicing Krishna consciousness. Well, if everyone fights about anything, it doesn't help. This is not the only issue we're going to fight about. You know, we have to deal with these issues. Um, that's the point. There's some moments when I have not had access to the normal womanhood. There are systems in place for every woman in our society that always the women to fit in the mold. But if those systems were... a long one. Oh, that's a whole PhD here. Those women fit in the mold. But if those systems were in place, wouldn't I have been the woman I am today? I wouldn't have been. And probably wouldn't have felt this way for Krishna. Yeah. It was safe to feel this way. It's like, you know, Prabhupada could take something that, according to traditional culture, was bad and he would use it. Like one he saw that, you know, we had no attachment to our family. So according to culture, you should take care of your parents. You should be obedient. And we all left when we were like 18 and never talked to them and said, don't tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want. So Prabhupada said, well, the good thing about you Americans is you're not attached to your families. Which from the Varnashram position is like, we're, we were just like very low class. So he took it. He took it in a positive way. Oh, the good thing about your women, you're independent. You can, you can preach. You can do this and that. Women are not supposed to be independent. They're supposed to be. So he would take the bad and, and show how it was good. So it, it, it's, like, it's like you really can't stereotype Prabhupada. And I think if we, we make the mistake of, of being too small-minded, we'll stereotype Prabhupada in a way that doesn't demonstrate who he really was. And we have to be careful. And I think that's the point that Billy Lynn is making. 
Da, 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 da. So. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's late, I'm sorry. But you all can read that if you like. Uh, yeah, the guru system is another issue. And so the, the biggest, the, two, the most contentious issue in ISKCON or the most troublesome issue was the guru issue. It created a lot of problems. And probably the most contentious is the female. Now you have the female and the the guru issue mixed in one. It's like, you know, you take two elements and they're... <laughs> so, um, but we have to learn how to, to navigate these waters. Um, then, um, yeah, that's just what we have to do. Billy Lynn, I can't read your comments now because it's time to go. Actually, I can't read anyone's comments. It's time to go. <laughs> This is a hot topic. Oh, my God. I told you it would wake you up. Okay, so can somebody save the comments for today's Friday? Can we save them for Monday? Give you two days to cool down. Can we save them for Monday? And then we'll continue on this hot topic. And um, actually, maybe what's better is all of you individually save your comments and then... Um, we can post them, or if so, if Satyarup is here, she can copy the comments, save them, and we'll have them available, or both. God, there's so many. Oh my God, oh my God. Hare Krishna. Okay. Put guru and women together, well, everybody wakes up. So, so if you're ever giving a Bhagavatam class and everybody looks like this, just say, now we're going to talk about female diksha gurus. That's even more exciting than prasadam. You know, if you say prasadam, they'll go like this. If you say female diksha gurus, they'll go like this. So, it's a hot topic. Okay. Hare Krishna to all of you. We'll, we'll talk more about this <laughs> on Monday. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Go pray.